when you're walking a path no one's walked before, it is actually a sign that you're doing good things if you have imposter syndrome. It's a sign that you're on the right path if you're uncertain because you've never created that version of you before. You have to continue to expand to grow in to your passions. And there's nothing more satisfying, but at the same time, there's nothing more terrifying. Notice the opposition, the paradox that, that is required in order to live a fulfilling life. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person who is constantly on a mission to uncover the light that exists within all of us. On this podcast, I talk to people from all walks of life who have uncovered their light and actively cultivated in their everyday, whether it be through career, relationships, spirituality, or a combination of the three. My hope is that these conversations help us start uncovering our own light that already exists within us, which is what I like to call our active ingredient, so that we can tap into it, bring it to the forefront, and live the lives that we were intended to. All right, we are back with another active ingredient episode, and I am now speaking to you as a 30-year-old, which is insane. I recently turned 30 a few days ago, and I'm coming off of a crazy high from being with my family and my friends, they did a full surprise party for me and it was just the sweetest, cutest thing ever. And I just like really felt the love and I'm not going to lie, I was feeling extreme stress for turning 30. I I know it's stupid, but I was really going through it. And, you know, I think I'm going to do a solo episode on it because I can't be alone in this like freak out, like, oh my God, I'm turning 30, like funeral for my 20s situation, which might be dramatic, but you know what? Whatever. Who am I if not dramatic, right? So before we get into this week's episode, I also did want to let you guys know that I am going to be doing the podcast on Tuesdays instead of Mondays now. And um, I'm doing that really for the sake of consistency um, and being able to just get you guys new episodes every week. Um, And for me and for the team that helps me do it, that just works better. So um, it'll be live every Tuesday now. So with that, this week's episode is with Mark Groves and Aaron Albert, who are the co-founders of the Mind app, which is M-I-N-E apostrophe D, uh, which is an emotional well-being app that lets people discover and interact with mental health professionals via live and on-demand expert-led video and audio series that address a wide range of topics, including everything from, oh my God, they really do have everything, but they have everything from infidelity, pandemic reemergence, which I actually spoke about in the last solo episode, understanding codependency, boundaries, and so many other incredible niche topics that I think are very valuable and helpful. The app launched in September of 2020, and they already have about 50,000 users. I actually think that number is higher right now, and they continue to grow. So both Mark, who some of you might know from his Instagram, Create the Love, it's mega successful, and Aaron both discovered their passion for helping people after having both gone through their own devastating breakups at the age of 27. And they came together to help people navigate very human emotions in a non-intimidating and community-heavy way. I am a user of the app and I honestly love it so much. It's helped me navigate some very specific issues in an easy-to-follow next steps kind of way. And you guys know I love a next step. And I really genuinely recommend it. I actually, in the episode, go through one of the series that just actually helped me solve a very specific problem. Um, So on this episode, we get into both Mark and Aaron's backgrounds and each of their career 180s because they're honestly doing completely different things than what they did when they started out in their careers. We get into the role identity plays when it comes to career and how to let go of it. Unlearning societal beliefs, and how they got to creating mind, how relationships affect every aspect of life, and of course, pursuing our authentic self-expression, which is the theme of this podcast. So I genuinely think you guys will love this episode. I really did. And I'm excited to hear from you guys. Let me know what you think. And thank you, Mark and Aaron, for coming on the show. I hope you all enjoy, and I'll see you guys next week. So, well, thank you both for being on the Active Ingredient Podcast. I am so pumped to hear both of your full stories, and I feel like the audience is going to absolutely love it. So thank you for being here. (laughs) 
Yeah, Thank we're excited. For, yeah, thanks for having us. Pumped up. Of course. Um, so I ask every guest this question, and I'm very excited to hear both of your answers. Um, and it's, what were you like as a kid that you remember? And are there any childlike qualities that you think are in your personality today? Aaron, why don't we start with you? <laughs> I mean, I was like a... I was just fully a nightmare. I mean, I was... <laughs> I was... <laughs> Wow. Okay. So my mom, my mom tells this story where like, I was, I don't know, four years old and I was just like screaming in the car one day, just throwing an absolute temper tantrum. And she was like crying and like speeding to get me home. And like, she got pulled over by a cop and she's like sobbing and I'm screaming in the back and the cop's just like, okay, lady, you know what? Your life looks like a disaster. So I'm just gonna let you go. I'm gonna let you take care of your kid. And I went from like that screaming kid, um, to like, just pretty, like I, I was always needing to be the center of attention. I was the class clown. I, was constantly getting kicked out of class. I mean, I put my parents through hell very early on. Are you the youngest? I'm the oldest. Oh, okay. Interesting. I'm the oldest. I mean, I was on every ADHD med. I was on Concerta, Ritalin, Adderall, not at the same time, but you know, I was on all of them. Um, that was me as a kid. I was just totally out of control. Do you think that like, I mean... I feel like the tantrum thing, I don't know. <laughs> maybe it may No, I don't still do that. <laughs> but, but are there anything, like, is there anything that you would say is, like, still within what you're doing today? You know, I think, like, throughout most of my life, like, I went to school, I mean, we'll get into this, I, I assume, but I went to school for acting and stuff, and, and um, I was an actor, and so I guess there was always, like, a desire to be seen and, like, to be in the spotlight, and... I suppose the irony now is that like, like I fulfilled a lot of that in my ego and like now I'm very much in the backseat of, of things. Um, I don't know. I'm still like, I'm still pretty, like I can get pretty wild and I, I love humor and, and I love cracking jokes. And I, I still love doing shtick. So I don't know that that's changed. I love it. All right, Mark, what about you? What was little Mark like? Yeah, you know, I think there's still a lot of what I do today, that curiosity. I also was like Aaron, I get apparently to found mind. We had to both spend a lot of time in the hallway at school because <laughs> I certainly did. I talked back to teachers. I mean, I have a report card from grade six that says Mark feels the need to give his unsolicited opinion in class. And then like <laughs> quarter two and Please quarter three were like, yeah, quarter two back. and quarter three were like, Mark has reduced the the number of unsolicited. And then the fourth one was like, Mark has increased the number. Uh, I laugh. I still have a copy of that report card because it's so funny to me because like what essentially was attempting to be socialized or taught out of me uh, actually ended up becoming a superpower in a lot of ways in that when I was in a previous job, uh, which I know we'll get into, that was that version of me that was subdued. And I realized, you know, uh, that, that being outspoken can sometimes, you know, cause ruffle feathers, but in a lot of ways it, it stimulates conversation and creates safety for other people to speak up to. So, yeah, I do feel like a lot of the curiosity, the play, I was all about like, how do we have fun? You know? And so a lot of my teaching is like, how do you have fun as you're unfolding, as you're going through life's messiness, because let's be honest, if you can't laugh at the ridiculousness of romance and emotional, relational stuff, I mean, how do you get through it, you know? A hundred percent. So the reason I asked this question for all guests is because I tend to have people on that I feel on a very deep level are working in something that is very aligned for them. And I find that it's been for like 95% of all guests, a lot of the qualities in their childlike self tend to come out while they're in this kind of aligned space. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you mentioned the subdued part because in all of the same stories, that's kind of the same common denominator. It's like they're subdued. They're told no, not to be their full authentic self. They're in this weird mumbo jumbo or doing a job they don't like, have this whole moment of being like, what is it that I actually want to do with my life? And then come home to themselves. And then they're in the space of their active ingredient. 
which is what I, that's what right. we call it here, um, which is why I asked the question. So that makes a lot of sense for both of you. So I want to get into both of your career trajectories in the same vein. Um, Aaron, why don't we start with your acting career? And I, I don't think that it's like completely, you're not doing something similar in acting right now, but I don't th- I think that there are some qualities of acting that are in kind of the space that you're in today. Maybe you're not the one doing it, but you're bringing out not a performance, but there is a, a kind of like theatrical sense to what you're doing. So yeah, walk, walk us through your, your trajectory. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, and I totally agree. And we, you know, oftentimes I, I say like, you know, the relevance of me being a quote unquote child actor is that we're producing something that is verticalized in media. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so again, going back to like, I was a really crazy kid and a lot of people did not get me. And part of that was what I trace that back to is, you know, YouTube wasn't around like when I was growing up, um, you know, same with Mark. Um, and so you like, my mom was like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, why is this guy so out of control nowadays? I think there's this understanding because we're so exposed to different personality types via the internet that you're like, Oh, my kid's just like hyper creative or like my kid just like needs a better outlet. Right. But it just wasn't as understood back then. So I was very misunderstood. I think from a lot of people, a lot of people just thought I was like absolutely annoying. (laughs) It's like needed like a horse tranquilizer. And I remember there were a few people in my life who were like, get this kid into acting. Like, I think you got to put this kid in acting and I'll never forget. I saw a production of my mom's friend's daughter at like, she was like 11 years old in Annie, get your gun, which to this day is my least favorite show of all time. It's the worst show ever. And, um, no offense to anybody who like has like a (laughs) soft spot for Annie, get your gun. My favorite show. (laughs) I remember seeing people like clapping for her, like in this really positive way for her being loud and like the center of attention. And I was like, Oh, like, this is cool. Like, this is what I do, but like, usually I'm going to the principal, but like everyone's clapping. So anyways, I was like, mom, sign me up. Started doing that. Um, a a little show came to town that was sort of on its way to Broadway called 13, the musical, not based on the movie 13. That would Mm. be weird. (laughs) But literally I was 13 and I like started, I like had my first professional gig. And from there, all my friends who I was in it with, um, we're like, okay, time to do TV and film now. And I was like, okay, I guess. So started auditioning, um, started booking stuff, um, was on iCarly, was on the Disney channel for a couple years. Um, we have a on lot a of show millennial that, listeners, so we're all f- very familiar with iCarly. <laughs> yeah. iCarly, the, the Disney channel show, nobody's familiar with. I swear to God, I was on one episode of iCarly everybody and their mother used to recognize me from that. I was on two years of a Disney channel show. The only person who recognized me was a young boy in Cabo San Lucas, uh, who, who recognized is the only person ever in the two years who ever recognized me. (laughs) That's funny. Um, apparently it was very big in, in, in South America. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So I was sorry. I'm sort of digressing here, but yeah, I did that for a long time. Went to school for musical theater, started composing musical theater and, um, obviously things have taken a wild, a wild turn since. Wait, so talk to me about this wild turn and like, talk to me about what, at what point you decided to kind of say goodbye to the traditional, you know, audition. I don't know if you're still doing that on the side or if that's still a passion of yours, but, um, at what point did that kind of like come to a head? And at what point did you kind of move into, um, the tech scene? Yeah. I mean, I was auditioning since I was like 12. 13 in LA. And by the way, I had a very normal childhood. Like I I didn't have the kind of childhood where like some of my fellow Disney peers whose kind of like parents were like, okay, we're moving you from Texas to LA. And like, this is what the family's focus is now is on Mm -hmm. you becoming a star and like nothing wrong with that. But like, I had a very pretty conventional childhood. So for me, I like almost took it for granted. I was like, oh, this is just like a fun, cool thing that I'm doing on the side. It wasn't like my life. And then I went to college and I watched all of my friends get so excited about pounding the pavement and getting an agent and going to auditions. And I was like, oh God, like nothing sounds worse to me. Um, it, it, it's such a, and I have so much respect for my friends who are doing it. It is such a hard life. It is, it is, I find it to be um, oftentimes very thankless. Um, 
you know, I, it, it was not accumulative for me, meaning that like you, you, you book one thing. And really when you're done with that show or that TV show, you're right back to square one. And it was also something that was very powerless. Like it, someone else told me when I could do the thing I loved doing. Like I had to wait for someone to be like, okay, now I give you a job and you may act. And I think that was why I started composing musical theater towards the end of college. Cause it was something that I had ownership of. I got to decide when I sat down and wrote something at the piano. Um, and then I, I got into literally like, I was like, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. What am I going to do? And uh, same sort of thing happened. I went to go take a soul cycle class after my 21st birthday in Vegas. My sister took one look at me and my brother, whose also name is Aaron, uh, whose name is also Wait, Aaron. Uh, he's my stepbrother. <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like that required a little bit of a clarification. Name your kids the same name. Yeah, my parents were like, you know what? We're going to keep it casual. Having you was already hard enough. We're just going to name everyone the same. Um, no, and, try and she, again. She, she was like, she was like, you guys look like shit. Go, please go to an exercise class. Thank you. And we went to soul cycle and the same like moment happened where I was like, saw this person getting this really positive attention on the bike. And I was like, this is awesome. I could do this. And, uh, one thing led to another. And like, I, you know, started teaching spin and started a consulting company with one of the founding instructors from soul cycle. We traveled all over the country and the world shout out Nick Prattley. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, through that adventure led me to Mark and, and, and to creating mind. Amazing. Uh, well, I'm going to get into some of those, uh, little nuggets of that story because it's incredible. And I think that that's so relatable with that feeling. It's not just an acting of like, you know, loving what you do so much and then waiting for someone else to give you the go ahead, I think has been a big frustration of a lot of people that I've had on the podcast. Um, so I think that that's just like a really interesting thing to explore because it is probably in most career paths, something that you're waiting on for someone else, you know? And by the way, I'll throw one more thing out there and then pass it to my more handsome counterpart. (laughs) Um, But one of the things I felt a lot of was was like guilt and shame. And I've talked to a lot of friends who have felt the same way. My parents spent so much money sending me to school for something very hyper-specific. And so there was also a lot of like identity kind of exploration I had to do with abandoning this thing that not only, not only did my parents like spend all this time and money to, 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 to make sure I was great at, but everybody knew me as like the actor kid or like the guy who was acting. Right. And so to have to explain to people that I wasn't doing that anymore, I think it felt like a failure in some ways. I felt guilty. I felt like it, like I lost part of who I was. So I, I like, and that, that's not, that's not necessarily exclusive to acting. There's, I've talked to plenty of people who mm. have their identities wrapped up in, you know, what they've been known to do for a long time. Um, anyways, just wanted to throw that out there, but back to you. Let's do Mark, but I definitely want to explore identity with this topic for sure. So Mark, talk to me about your trajectory. What did you think that you wanted to do and how are we here today? And throwback, what did I think I wanted to do? You know, I don't know that I, you know, I like the intellectualization of that because I did my undergrad in finance, actually. And the only reason I did finance is because it was one of the hardest, it was considered one of the hardest business degrees. And I already thought I'd get a job in marketing, but I wanted to understand stocks, which I could tell you, I never bothered to look at a stock after I graduated. (laughs) So, you know, fail. But the idea was, how do I become someone who can be a good provider, you know, make a certain amount of money, take care of a family, et cetera, et cetera, sort of the, the male side of the gender social, social, socialization. And then on, yeah, I, I ended up working in pharmaceutical sales, which as a rep was, I mean, I was certainly in a zone of genius when I was in university, I worked at Future Shop, which is like the Best Buy of Canada. And I loved sales. I loved changing human behavior. I loved getting someone to buy something. And I was studying at the time things like, how do you get, I had a book called How to Get Anyone to Do Anything. I mean, I had so many different sort of like human manipulation books. And I went through a breakup when I was 27. And when I went through that breakup, I was just thinking to myself, like, why am I so good at talk, talking about everything but my feelings? Like, this isn't a skill set issue. There's something more going on here. And so that really made me want to dive deeper into 
what is it about romantic relationships that is challenging? Why are we not taught them? I started, because my relationship ended, I started to look at other relationships that are ending. You know, it's like when you buy a certain type of car, you all of a sudden see that car everywhere. Before I was not seeing the relational dysfunction around me, I wasn't seeing divorces, even though they were occurring. I just wasn't selecting that information. I had a bias. And so all of a sudden I had this other bias and I started to see that people were still married for 50 years and totally hated each other. And we called that success. And just how much, how important romantic relationships, but relationships of all kinds are to us and are the fact that we're not taught about them just really shocked me. So I started to read more about the science of romantic relationships. Why do they end? Why do they not? Et cetera, et cetera. And in studying that, I started to share, you know, started to write about them, went back to school, did positive psychology. And so in the exploration of all of that, um, it just started, to, I just had this yearning to want to share. And I remember I had a friend one day who was like, why don't you just talk about relationships? Why don't you teach that? Like you love it. People come to you for it. And, you know, I was on my own sort of relational journey as I always am. And I started to write about what I'd been through. I started to do what my friend had suggested and I started coaching. Um, and I, I realized how much there was an overlap of, you know, sort of like we talked about being subdued and sort of like, what job did you think you wanted? And the job I thought I wanted was the one that would provide enough that I could be seen as a good provider and a good partner. And then you realize that that is all perfect because it gets you to the place where you are today. And, and so really, I just see so much value um, in relationship and teaching people that in, in the thing that will completely change their life, change their health, change. You realize how correlated it is to everything. Um, so, yeah. So you chose going back to school to study positive psychology. Did, were you doing that at the same time while you were still working in sales or did you drop the sales job and then focus on that fully? No, I, 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 what I did was I, I, I did have this moment where I was like, maybe I'll become consultant and I'll start to teach about executive, you know, leadership mm -hmm. teams. And I did start to design programs in that area. And then the company I worked for actually paid for me to go back to school Oh, so, yeah, I remember going to this workshop where this woman said, don't quit your job to pursue your dream. Use your current job as an investor in your dream. And so that really positioned me in a different way where I wasn't thinking like, how do I get out of this job and do this romantic ideal of just leaping and, and not having any security or being able to pay for food or rent? Like that makes no actual <laughs> rational sense. And so that allowed me to sort of make another negotiation, I guess, with I'll say my soul that I, I could do it a little longer as long as I was continuing to move towards what ultimately was my goal to leave and do this full time. But man, I was terrified, you know, terrified of letting go of the story you're taught to live the story that is trying to move through you. Especially with the fact that you were choosing that original career path for the stability side of things and pursuing a career that I don't know what it looked like at the time that you started. Because now I feel like if someone's interested, you can see a path to mega success. You can see different routes. You can do consulting, you can do classes, yeah. you can write books, et cetera. And it's like, we're, we're seeing it and we're seeing people do it and have examples, but I don't know how it was at the time that you did it. How did you reconcile that feeling of still wanting to be the stable man um, while, you know, figuring that out for yourself. Well, I had to let go of that identity and that my worth lived in that, you know, I was really, how can I still be valuable without certainty, without what society values me for? And I mean, that's a negotiation. We all have to come to, to live our authentic selves. Like you have to be willing to lose people and admiration in order to be yourself. But what you realize is that the former, when you had those people and that admiration, it was based on who you're pretending to be. And so, you know, there's this leap that we all have to take, which is when you pursue this authentic self-expression, whatever that might mean, that you start to see that worth is actually cultivated from within you and the birth of your dreams, the birth of belief in yourself and no longer does it live in someone else saying, you're enough. I love what you do for work. I love that you can provide. I love whatever it might be. 
um, you start to realize that all of that is false anyways. And so when it falls away, I mean, when it fell away from me and continued to fall away, cause it takes a while, um, it takes a while to start to believe in yourself, but you start to cultivate evidence by seeing the work that you're doing by, you know, you might lose someone, but you still have you. And that's, it's so hard to, to walk someone through that till they've walked it. You know, I can, it's like everyone said to me before I pursued my dream, they were like, just leap and the universe will catch you. And you're like, eh, I'm like smoke more weed. I'm like, where are you coming from here? <laughs> you know, but then you do it and you realize that I don't know where it comes from, but you know, there is something true about that, that when you get on this aligned path with yourself, doors open, support comes. It's really wild. You know, I, I think it's only, it's only able to be described through the ethereal, through, you know, magic. So what were you doing? Like, were you going to therapy? What, what were you doing on a personal level to kind of build that evidence for yourself? Like, was there anything that you were proactively doing or was it just putting things out there and then doors would open? I mean, I was studying on a real, uh, personally, I was studying romantic relationships, like a freaking like obsessed, obsessed with wanting to understand them more for my own success. And then as I was doing that, I, yeah, I did trainings in CBT and psychotherapy and coaching and all these different modalities. And, and I not only did the trainings, I attended them. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I just kept being broken, more open. And then I would write about what I'd been through, mistakes I'd made, things I learned. And I really saw my writing was starting to be sort of like a shame exorcism that I was able to write about these things I'd been through. And then other people went, me too. Like I've been through these things. Thank you for sharing what you've been through. And it showed me that really ultimately what people want is not perfection, but, but actually the surrender to imperfection, this permission to be oneself, to say like, Anyone who says they have it figured out, you should run from, you know, any coach or therapist who, who speaks from a mountaintop, but isn't living it, you should run from, you know, and I think there's, although we certainly do pursue and support people who model perfection, I think there's a deeper human yearning to just have someone give them permission to make mistakes and, and, and to just say that's normal, you know. All right. Well, I'm curious on how you both, I, I know the story, but the audience doesn't on how you two found each other in this life and how you have together created this incredible app that is doing that exact thing coming from a place. The app does offer that exact um, vibe or feeling that you're saying is not coming from a mountaintop and coming from a person who's been through it recently and talking to, to you from that spot. But I'm curious, how did you guys um, meet? How did this entrepreneurial journey start together? Well, we met as any good love story begins with a with a slip and a slide right into the DM inbox. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, no, I'll, I'll I'll now back up. Um, I so Mark and I both went through really uh, life altering breakups, both when we were twenty seven. So I also went through this huge breakup at twenty seven. Do we and, think that this is a Saturn return time? Think is that it what is. it is? I think it is. You know what? I think whatever it is, it's yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like, uh, you know, I'm not. It's a, an I'm Aquarius super... rising. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just that's feel actually. like just every time I hear these stories, it's like within the ages of 27 to 30, it's like you have this moment. I yeah, can name like 20s. at least five people off the top of my head that have been on this podcast that have the same. Yeah. Kind of path. You know, I, yeah, I agree. I think there's sure, like if you want to call it Saturn returns, I think that's fine. I also think Ass that, like, from the universe. <laughs> yeah. And I just think like you get to a point where you've been out of college for a couple years and shit just gets real and you come face to face with this moment of being like, am I the old? version of me or am I going to step into something new? And I think like, you know, it, it, even when we look at like who's using mind, um, 
you know, it's not a lot of, you know, Gen Zers. Like it's, it's really people who are like approaching their later twenties who, who are coming face to face with the realities of who they were and who they want to be. Um, but, but anyway, so yeah, so I, I went through this huge breakup. I had been in this relationship with this woman who was amazing in a lot of ways and also incredibly triggering in a lot of ways. I also came into this relationship from this place of like total lack. Like I put her on such a pedestal. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm with someone this pretty and this smart and she was an entrepreneur and, and all these things. And, and what that does to you is, um, it just totally devalues your, your, your worth in relationship. And so all of a sudden it creates this dynamic that just from day one is unhealthy and not good because I'm constantly pushing towards her and she's constantly pulling away from me. And, and it was very triggering to my anxious attachment style. Um, and it ultimately ended and, uh, I was messed up. I mean, I, you know, I'd been in and out of therapy as a kid a little bit cause I had, you know, ADHD or, you know, air quotes for those who can't see me at home. Um, and I just was really shocked at, you know, when you're not a kid anymore and you don't have your parents kind of figuring out like which therapist to go see and paying for it and dealing with the insurance, like all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, this is actually not easy at all. Um, in fact, it's prohibitively hard. So, you know, I tried to see a couple of different therapists, didn't find anyone that I loved. I also had a habit of kind of running circles around like therapists as I was younger because I was an actor. And so it was very easy to like pull the wool over their eyes. So I needed someone who was going to really not let me get away with my shit. And, um, and then like self-help was great. I also consumed a ton sort of in, in the same vein as Mark being like, I want to know how to do this so I do it better next time. I also was very much on that same journey of being like, I am going to read every book ever about relationships. Um, you know, I was having dinner with friends, and like sharing like the quotes I just read. They're like, dude, okay, calm down. <laughs> <All right." laughs> um and I was super deep in it. And, but, but I was also having a hard time because I was spending so much time and reading stuff that like half the time, I didn't know if it was helpful. Half the time, I didn't know if it was good. Um, it was just really hard. Like that's, that's really the way to describe it. It was just really hard to like get the support I needed. And a friend of mine, we just pulled this up the other day, but a friend of mine sent me this quote uh, that Mark had posted in 2017 um, that said something to the effect of like life's greatest love is life's greatest paradox because the, the deeper, um, the deeper and, you know, more powerfully you love, the more susceptible you are to pain or some, some, something to that extent. And I was like, I was like, holy shit, like this guy gets me. Like, I want to feel the, the, I want to feel the amazing high highs of life. And accompanied with that is your willingness to also feel the low lows. And that's, by the way, I've taken that quote that he wrote and I've, or maybe, did you write that? I don't know. Did you write? Yeah, you wrote that. Ned. And, and I've applied that to like everywhere else, right? Even to like, when, when we talk about leaping into a new job or a new career, right? There's all this fear and, and, and sometimes there's failure and sometimes there's a lot of pain and hurt and sort of wading through shit. But you have to open yourself up to that or you do not get to experience the other end of the spectrum. That's the rule. And I think if you live that way, it's very helpful to remember that like, okay, the more I'm allowing myself to go this way, the more I'm going to be able to go this way. Um, do you find that the more that you do that, the lows tend to not phase you as much? Like the more that you practice that muscle, do you find that you still experience the highs, but the lows aren't as bad? Or is it like in the same space that like the highs get bigger, but the lows get bigger too? Well, I think you just don't spiral as much. I mean, I'm a Jew and part of being Jewish is like, we have just, we're out of the womb with like anxiety and guilt and we tend to spiral. And so, you know, I would spiral a lot. I, I would go to like worst case scenario, but then when like worst case scenario turned out to like not be that bad. And also like generally on the other side of it was like best case scenario. It's just like, you, 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 you just don't go, you know, things can still be as bad. It can still really hurt and be painful, 
But I think you don't let yourself preemptively get there or start to plan what it's going to be or self-sabotage as much. Um, but, but just to wrap this very long, circuitous story, um, I, I started consuming all of Mark's stuff. And what I loved about Mark's stuff was not only did I see so much of myself personally in Mark, um, but it was raw, it was authentic, it was real. It felt like he was sort of sitting next to me versus being like, you're broken and I'm the doctor now. Um, and one thing led to another. And I, I, I think I slid into his DM and hit him up via email because I was like, I'm going to figure out how to get in touch with this guy. And I remember telling my dad that I was doing this. And my dad was like, why don't you just go see a therapist? And I'm like, I can't, <laughs> like, I can't find one. And so, um, you know, so anyways, ended up coaching with Mark. He like helped me through this breakup. I ended up taking one of his courses. I was like, so just impressed with like what he had built. And I came back to him a year later and I was like, look, like there's a huge opportunity for us here. Like this, this doesn't exist. And sort of simultaneously, he was like, well, it's funny you say that. Cause like, I'm also having all these challenges as a creator of emotional health content and not having a safe centralized space to be able to, to, to do this. Um, and Mark can speak to that more. And, um, and it was just sort of this like beautiful synergy of, of like right place, right time and, and real need. So you guys were working together first for how long, and then you decided to take it to the next level and go into business together. How long were you guys working together? How long were we courting each other? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I think it was like three months. Okay, yeah, I'm asking like, like, at what point did the DM lifestyle not scare you anymore? And you said, no, I actually want to go into business with this guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was like three months of sort of like throwing around okay. like a fake idea that like was maybe or maybe not going to happen. And then I remember Mark, we like finally were like, okay, let's do this. And, and we hired this uh, team to, to sort of help us put the initial MVP together, minimum viable product. And um, Mark came out to New York for a week and we had this like awesome week where Awesome. Um, we just, we like spent like literally 9am to like 6pm in a WeWork and like did beautiful mind and like figured out how we were going to create <laughs> this thing. Um, and then yeah, in July of 2019 or August. So, so we started the company officially in August of 2019 and then we launched September of 2020. So not, not a short process. Okay, Mark, from your perspective, what was it that was lacking in the space and why was Aaron the right person to do this with? Well, I think one of the things that was lacking in the space is that, actually, I'll start with why Aaron was the person to do it with, which was his experience, um, you know, in, in being a consumer and his experience in working in the area of tech and wellness. And, you know, I just trust in the serendipitous nature of life. So, you know, when something like that shows up, well, it's knocking on my door too, like in my own experience, I just, it's too hard to ignore. You can't. So it's like, he also has tons of integrity. We have similar value systems. He's kind, he's generous. So it was just like an easy, <laughs> get out of here. It was easy to, to, to do it with Aaron. You know, if there was anyone else, um, yeah, there was no other choice in, 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 in all those ways. And, uh, what was lacking in the space? Well, you know, I was sort of at the beginning of the relational, emotional, I guess, teaching online, you know, so I knew and still know, you know, all the top people in that field. And one thing that was common was they're just spread way too thin. You know, we're trying to put content out on freaking and content and platforms keep being made and hopefully some of them die someday. Like, I think there's more dead people on Facebook than there are people alive which should tell you that Facebook should go to a moratorium. Right. And, you know, I started to, we just felt so spread thin. And with that also that you're, you know, you get on an Instagram live and it's not people who are like really engaged specifically in that content who come all the time. I'd say there's people who are just sort of find you on the explore page or you pop up and then their whole job is to insult people that they hop on a live with. So, you know, inevitably my hairline gets commented on or something and you just realize like, 
this isn't the place where everyone feels safe. Like both the user is getting commented on. We especially find that with our creators who are female have experienced a lot on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, where they just have inappropriate comments. And we're like, we want a space where everyone is interested in the content that's being produced, you know? And also the other side is that the research shows pretty clearly that when someone uses an app, a social media app, they feel worse about themselves when they leave. And so we really thought like, how do we create something that actually has someone leave better, more complete, more, uh, more witnessed? You know, I think like one thing that's really fascinating to see between doing a live on Instagram or doing a live on mind is on Instagram. Let's say I have 800 people on by the end of 20 minutes, I've had 5,000 people run through, but if I do one on mind, I have 800 people on, I have like 792 at the end. So like, because it's content that's specific to the people, they're staying. It's so it's a totally different. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's like exactly what they want to consume. And then just hearing the the creators are also, you know, generally not people who create this type of content are generally not business people. You know, they didn't take business school. They don't know how to monetize or brand or market. And it's a lot of work as someone who went out and did it all individually and then continues to sort of put it together. I realized how many people don't want, they just want to say like, give, just let me be in my zone of genius, speak about the thing I'm good at and get paid to do that. And so as a creator, that was really from our side, just seeing like, wow, we need something that is just so simple for uh, emotional, relational, mental health experts. And that's just easy, easy plug and play. And so that's, you know, from my side, it was really why we, I wanted to create it too. You know, I really saw, I mean, pre-pandemic, we were like, we're in the greatest mental health crisis. Fucking post-pandemic, we're like, it's 100x. Yeah. How, how did you guys figure out what type of content you wanted to have on the app? Um, cause I feel like it kind of runs a gamut on anything mental, mental wellness, but, um, versus just sticking to relationships only, for example, since that's your zone of genius, why did you guys expand to more? Was there demand, um, from the pandemic or how did you guys develop those different series? Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we saw was that, I mean, I've seen this throughout my work is that people find their opportunity to wake up or find that active ingredient through different areas of challenges in life. Look, you're in relationship with anything that's not you. Mm -hmm. So, and you're in relationship with yourself just to add more complexity to it. And so really any challenge in any relationship offers a magnifying glass to something. And they're all invitations to wake up and start to, and, and I don't mean awakening from like an esoteric perspective. I mean, literally awakening being starting to ask questions like, why do I do what I do? And I think one of the most motivating emotions and moments of awareness that can be invited through any topic is I believe there is more to life. I think there might be more to life. And as soon as you have that feeling, you're already sensing that there's more to life. You just haven't realized it and you don't know all the blocks you've been taught. And so because of that, our teachers teach in the range of where were you socialized to believe that you couldn't have that relationship, that job, that relationship to money? You know, people get divorced, we say because of finance, but they actually get divorced because they have different relationships to money and they don't understand each other's relationship to money. So we really just saw like, hey, if we just talk about relationships, amazing, because we'll definitely cover the gamut of why people experience emotional challenges. But we're like, if we do that, we're missing actually these other people who want to learn about the thing that's specific that they're going through, like sex or their career, their purpose, their selves, themselves, their relationship to themselves. How have you guys uh, gotten people to migrate from Instagram or TikTok to Mind? Because I feel like these creators, I mean, you yourself, Mark, you're on Instagram very actively. How are you getting communities to then download a whole other new app and engage with it and stay or not stay, but come to the exact series that they want to see. Have you guys seen kind of a hurdle in that space and, and who is that person that's going and how are they getting there? Yeah. I mean, uh, listen, I think, um, I think 
when you're dealing with emotional wellness, I, I don't think, you know, the, I don't think people are naive to the fact that like Instagram's just not the place mm-hmm. for it. Right. Like, like obviously Mark and I spend a lot of time thinking about this, but, uh, we hear so often like, Hey, like I, I want to get off Instagram. It's so draining. Um, and I, like, I wish I, I wish it wasn't my resource um, for, for, for mental and emotional well-being. So I think just at a very high level, people are just like, this is like exhausting to be here. And it's just like, it doesn't feel good. Um, I think as you get into more of like a tangible logistical level, look, there's a lot more intimacy on mine. Um, you know, obviously it's a safe space. Um, the content's all in one place, right? Like we're, we're built around emotional wellness and around you finding and exploring that content, you know, Instagram, your, your intent, Instagram is, is not a content specific platform. It's, it's a, it's an endless new discovery platform, right? right? They don't want you to spend a lot of time on one thing. They want you constantly just moving from one thing to the next thing. Um, and so I think like the incentives are very misaligned. If you think about like how people need to be consuming, um, emotional wellness content. And then I think the, the, the other thing is that like people are craving community. Um, I think, you know, to know, um, whether you're, you're, you are actively engaged in the comments or you're just, you know, a, a, a voyeur of them. Um, I think knowing that other people are going through similar things, I think, um, understanding that you're, you're seen, you're heard, you're supported. Um, even just reading what other people have sort of tried or are experiencing, I think can feel really humanizing and validating. So, you know, I think for all of those reasons right now, um, it, it, you know, folks are, folks are excited to get off Instagram and to get into a place that just feels much cleaner and safer and, 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 you know, more aligned. Yeah. And as a user, I can attest, like I was going through an issue where I needed help with boundaries, right? Like I can't really search on Instagram for, you know, in that like search thing, I need help with boundaries. Right. So I went to the mind app. There's a whole series on boundaries with Terry Cole. I literally just watched one video. I got what I needed. I literally understood how I needed to communicate the boundary. She's a badass too. 20 minutes later, I had to have the hard conversation on the boundary. And that boundary is now like that's now instilled in my life. Twenty minutes. Of literally, life. I didn't even watch her whole video. I literally just that's watched implementation. She said, like, "Got it. I'm going." Yeah, I because I was going to go see this person, so I was like, "I need to figure out a boundary because I can't let one more day pass without figuring out how to communicate this boundary." Yeah. I listened to Terry, but like the insight there, what I'm trying to get across is that like I can't really do that on demand on Instagram without having to sift through a million different things where I knew going onto this app, I could go search for it. I found exactly what I was looking for from the leader of boundaries in the space. Her, learned literally what I needed to learn within like the 10 minutes that I had closed the app. It's not, I'm not mindless scrolling anymore. It's like I went for what I needed, got it, and then implemented into my life with an actual in-person relationship. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that Mark and I have always sort of believed in is the reality of going from, I have an issue or something I'm dealing with to being like, okay, now I'm in therapy or now I'm with a coach and I'm like seeing someone one-on-one. Like I don't have the research in front of me, but I would imagine it's somewhere sub 5%, right? Like somewhere sub 5% of all the people who are like, I have an issue actually like end up seeing a provider. And even if that number is higher, um, you know, and I can't imagine it's much higher than that. There, there's certainly, it is certainly lower than that. If we're talking about every time they have an issue, right? right? Like, so, right. so, you know, I think that's a, that's a major challenge with, with traditional therapy and even some of the teletherapy is that oftentimes it can feel very all or nothing. It can feel like I'm either doing it or I'm not, I'm either seeing my therapist every week cause she's holding a slot for me or I'm, I'm not. And we were really trying to eliminate that need to like, either have to be all in or all out. Instead, it's like, Hey, we're here for you and you can show up when you need to, and you cannot when you don't, and there's no slot. You don't need to book a time. Like you're, you're, you're here and you're welcome. Um, 
and and it's 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 much easier to just come and and be a part of it and there still is that one to one right if you have a question you come and catch a live session and you, you know the reality is that like there some there are some sessions that are you know have can have a thousand people in them but oftentimes you know we're producing enough sessions a week that you're looking at somewhere between 50 to 100 people in a session. And so there's a good chance that like you will be able to get your question asked. Um, so I think that was also a really big value for us. So I am curious with what you're both doing right now. Um, I feel like you guys have your hands in a few different things. Mine is right now what we're talking about. So maybe if you want to keep it to mind. Um, With mine, what would you say is your deeper purpose or the active ingredient that's getting you to push through the very intense app world? Because I know it's very challenging. Um, But what is it that's kind of getting you through and wanting to push through and really make this be that emotional well-being app that everyone goes to? I mean, for me, the motivation of everything I do has always been to help people change their own lives, you know, to give them access to information. Because I think a lot of the times we believe that it's just lucky people who have a certain type of mental health or a certain type of relationship, whatever it might be. And, you know, it isn't. They're all skills we can learn. It's not to say that we couldn't have had circumstances that were unfair. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm dismissing that. Um, but we can all learn the skills. There's no, Previously, I would definitely argue that access to relational, emotional, mental awareness was socioeconomically very stratified. You know, and, and really the intention of mind was to make it so it wasn't that anymore. Like no matter where you are on the earth, you got a smartphone, you can access this information that you might pay thousands of dollars to do a course about. And you can literally search for, like you did, the subject boundaries and dive in quickly too. And you know, that's what we also wanted to do was make it like espresso shots of this, where you're not spending four weeks. And and again, not to say that there isn't a a specific zone that therapy and uh, all those things really are important. Of course they are. And what happens when you're just like, huh, I need to learn how to do that. And you go and you learn it before you have to learn it. Do you know what I mean? Like you learn it before you got to go to the therapist, that there's this transition point that's earlier for all of us. That is like, I feel like something's off. I feel like I want to dive deeper in this. And giving someone access to be able to to follow that feeling and find something where formerly, as you said, they would have to sift through a sea of information. And we're saying like, if you want information that will change your life and how you relate and, and your own emotional, relational awareness, mind is that. Like you don't even have to go anywhere else. Yeah. So that's really the intention behind it was was to be able to provide that. I love it. Aaron? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just to piggyback on, on what Mark's saying, I think, you know, historically, uh, mental health support has been used incredibly acutely, reactively, and pretty transactionally. And, and I think we're really trying to change the conversation to, can we use, you know, can, can we, can we have a place where we can get support that we use proactively, reactively too. I mean, when we need it, but like that, that, that we are able to start learning things before they become issues. And, um, can we also make it more relational, right? Like uh, one of the beautiful parts about mind is that like, there isn't the doctor patient relationship, <clears throat> you know, our therapist taught me this expression called self-disclosing this idea that, um, when you're in therapy, your, your, your therapist doesn't, is not supposed to tell you about their personal life because it creates transference or the potential for transference. And one of the things that I think is so connective about what we're doing with mind is that our coaches, our therapists, our experts do self-disclose. They're like, Hey, like, here's how this relates to my life. Here's an example. And, and that creates really meaningful connection in a format where oftentimes it's really hard to find connection, right? And like, a, especially in like a one-to-many virtual setting. Um, you know, for me, it like I've had an autoimmune disease my whole life and the amount of time, money, emotional pain 
that I've spent to heal myself or like, not even like I'm still on the journey, but like to try and heal myself is just like, I mean, it is so beyond words and so exhausting. And, and I looked at mental health and I was like, okay, this, I can't do it like this again with mental health. Like there's gotta be a better way. Like I can't spend the same kind of time, effort, energy, money to like, just get a little bit of help as I have with my health. And I think that has really driven, you know, my deep desire to see mine succeed is that like, whether we have a really acute awareness of how our mental health is impacting us, or we don't, um, it's very easy for, for, for things to, to get incredibly cumbersome. And if we can provide a space that eliminates some of how heavy it is, can make it feel lighter, can make it like, dare we say, even feel more fun, right? Like, I mean, I I know people don't like to use that because it can feel reductive when we're talking about mental health, but like, we don't like to do shit that's not fun. That's the reality of like human beings. And if you look at therapy, like oftentimes the reason we don't prioritize therapy is because like, it's hard and it like, doesn't feel very good to go every week. And like, you know, your therapist is going to like, like ask you if you did that thing that like you haven't done. And all of a sudden you feel like you've like let, there's a lot of like psychological factors here. Right. So it's like, how do we make this experience just like more enjoyable, more fun, more joyous, something that you actually do want to show up for, because we're not naive to think that we're all of a sudden going to like change humans from like doing things they like to do to all of a sudden doing things they don't like to do. No, it's like, how do we put this into an environment that just makes it more likable? Yeah. You're meeting them where they are and also in content that is familiar to them. It's not like the content is completely different to what you what you see on Instagram or TikTok. It's just very like specific and premium is how I would right. describe it. And it's yeah. not something that's super far off from what we just know. Um, so to close out, I like I mentioned before we actually started the podcast, this whole podcast was really made for the person who is in this weird transition time searching for what that thing is. Like you said, that they have this question of like, there is more and I don't know what those first steps are for me. And maybe it's because of fear of, you know, saying goodbye to the old version of yourself or fear from literally not being able to make rent. So what advice would you give to someone who knows that there's something better and wants to live in their active ingredient or their truest self, um, and don't know what those first steps are? Uh, I guess I can start. I mean, uh, I read this book called when to jump by Mike Lewis. He was a venture capitalist and then he turned into a professional squash player. Um, and the whole book's just literally about this idea of like, when, when, and how do you, when, and how do you jump? And there was like, sort of like four key things that he talked about. One was, um, you know, listen to the little voice. Like we all have that voice that sort of is inside of us. And I think oftentimes we do not do a good job at really tuning in to to the little voice. Um, Make a plan, right? Like, I mean, you know, you can't plan for everything, but, but I think have some sort of a, a, of a plan that said, allow yourself to be lucky. The amount of times I've been like, I don't know how the fuck I landed on my feet with that, but I did because I trusted in myself and I listened to the little voice and I had like, at least a, a, enough of a plan. And then I let myself be lucky. A, and then, and then, you know, to Mark's point, like jump in the universal cap, catch you. Um, I think this idea of like not looking back, but, but even deeper than that, jumping for the life you want, not from the one you're running from, right. Not, not jumping because you're like, I hate this, but jumping because you're like, I love this. Um, and, and, and that would be my advice is like, there's never going to be a perfect time. There's never going to be um, like a moment where all the cards are like lined up and you've got this perfect thing. Um, you, you gotta be brave and you gotta just make a decision and it can't be out of fear. It has to be, you know, um, there's going to be fear for sure, but, um, you know, it's gotta be because there's something you, you, you really are excited about. Mark. Yeah. I mean, I'd echo everything Aaron said in that, you know, I think one of the parts that we need to learn and is through this process is 
we go to external sources to say, what should I do with my life? What's my dream? And really, that's just more giving away authority over your life. So it's I'm looking for you to validate what the little voice is saying in me. You know, there's a there's a great TEDx talk where he talks about man, you know, work-life balance. And then he says, if you don't design your life for yourself, someone else will do it for you and you won't like what they come up with. And I think that's very true in the pursuit of even our passions or our active ingredient. It's like the active ingredient, at least in my experience of it is, is the drive as you've spoken to. It's like, I want to, I want to change people's lives. I want to save people from something. It's usually something that we had to save ourselves from. And so you know, I really believe it's like you turn, you turn your mess into your message. You become the teacher you need it. And in doing that, like, you know, I think when Aaron said the little voice, it's like, if someone had asked me, what is the little voice saying? I wouldn't have probably said it out loud because I wanted it to be okay, what it was saying. But if I look back, I knew the moment I was learning about relationships at 27 and then throughout the years after that I, that was it is like i just wanted everyone to learn what i was learning because it completely changed my life and gave me permission to be myself and follow that voice don't subcontract authority over your life to other people be mindful of when you do that um and take the leaps you know it's it it's the greatest act of courage and follow the breadcrumbs you know like for me the breadcrumb was, am I going to be a consultant? Am I going to do this? Am I going to start create the love? Even when I started create the love, the reason I called it that, because I called it at first, create the love you want. And Instagram only had create the love available. So that's, but it ended up being perfect as the shorter version. And, and it perfectly brought me into Aaron's life, into your life. Like everything is so, you know, I think it's Steve Jobs. who said, you can always connect the dots looking back. Uh, but when you're in the dot, you have to just follow the drive, follow the, the intuitive space. And that's why when you take authority over your own life, you're following the drive, not what someone told you is the path, which is how most of us get here. Uh, but you finally are starting. To, and look, if you're drawing your own path, you're going to take sticks to the face. Like you can't help that. That's it. When you're walking a path no one's walked before, it is actually a sign that you're doing good things if you have imposter syndrome. It's a sign that you're on the right path if you're uncertain because you've never created that version of you before. You have to continue to expand to grow into your passions. And there's nothing more satisfying, but at the same time, there's nothing more terrifying. Notice the opposition, the paradox that that is required in order to live a fulfilling life. I think, I think I'll, I'll add one thing to that, which is I, I think something that really helped for, for people who are like, this like, it like feels too big or too overwhelming, or like, I don't have the skills or the resources or whatever. Like, again, Mark and I are great examples of this, right? Cause we both had totally unconventional backgrounds to get us to where we are today. I mean, like I didn't go to school for finance. I went to school for, you know, doing pirouettes and like, you know, singing, singing B sharps. Um, but something I always say to like, you know, my friends, my family, even sometimes to our team is like, you don't know shit until you know shit. And that's the truth. Like, you, you know, everybody started not knowing <laughs> and, and then you, and then you learn and then, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, cool. I like, I know shit. So I think like, you know, just to, to, to sort of reinforce that, um, you know, you don't wake up like being good at everything and, 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 and having it all figured out, like allow yourself to just like be a student, like allow yourself to, um, learn. And I think the, the greatest gift of failure, and if you can, if you're able to do this proactively is to just say, you know what, like I'm going to, this is going to be a data gathering experience for me. By the way, I applied the same thing to dating for a really long time. Like I would, I used to do this thing where I would like go on dates and I would like either create this whole story of like how this person I was going to get married to. And like, we're going to have kids and like, they were like the perfect person. And I would be totally just like painting in colors that they actually didn't really have. Or I would be so quick to be like, Nope, like, 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 like not the person. Right. And, and I was doing myself a disservice. I mean, obviously sometimes the red flags were warranted, but like sometimes it was just out of fear. I think one of the really, the, the, the really, foundational things for me was just allowing myself to go, you know what? Like I'm just getting, I'm just gathering data. Right. So 
you don't know shit until you know shit and just allow yourself to, to, to gather data and like, let that be the experience. If it, if, if that's all it is. Um, but amazing. so if that's we love advice. you, best, best PR, <laughs> best PR team ever. Thanks guys. Um, thanks. Guys. This was amazing. Um, where, okay. Actually, since I have you both, and this is for the purpose of this podcast, out of all the mind videos out there, which do you think would be the best first one for an active ingredient listener knowing what they come here for? Oh man. I think about, I mean, I can only really, I can speak to some of the experts content, but I think for mine, I did one on codependency that is, it was fire. Like it's a good place to start. And then once you dive into codependency, then you're going into all the subjects, your family origin. I mean, Vienna Farron teaches on that. Dr. Solomon's series on loving bravely is fantastic. I mean, there's, I'm reading her book next. I'm so excited. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I would say if, if, if you want to understand like where you came from and why you are the way you are and why you're reactive and like hate broccoli, not actually, but like, I would say start with Vienna's series, um, um, family of origin. Um, if, if, if you want to understand your current relationship and like really upgrade very quickly, loving bravely, um, uh, Dr. Solomon, for sure. If you need like a daily hit of inspiration. If you just want someone who just amps you up so hard, Brandon Collinsworth, he's a Nike master trainer. He has a master's in positive psychology from Penn. Like the guy is just absolutely unbelievable. Um, you know, we, we, there, there's so, there's so many, um, there's so many great, uh, great, great speakers on there. Um, and, and there's really, there like truly is something for everyone. All right. Well, thank you both so much for coming on and thank you for creating this app and for helping me figure out a boundary that I really needed to figure out for like five (laughs) years, by the way. (laughs) So thank you. It's never too late. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.